The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to the Identity Matters podcast. We're very excited about uh, sharing with you some of the most profound but yet simple truths that are available from the Word of God. Welcome to the message of repentance. I mean repentance. (laughs) But as humorous as that could be, it is the most common for most of us. How many times do we go back before the Lord and say, Oh, Father, I blew it again. Lord, why do I usually run to my fears versus to Christ? Or, you know, there seems to be a repeat instead of an attitude of repentance. I got good news for you right now. And you probably have heard this on radio, to television, to friends or family, but I am here to tell you today that it doesn't matter how many times you commit that sin. It doesn't matter. Because God, through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, are very, very qualified to use it for your good. Jesus doesn't address sin. 602-292-2982. Text me. Jesus does not address sin. He already did that. Jesus is not concerned about making sure you pay for the sins that you commit through your consequences. He already did that. Jesus isn't concerned about whether you make excuses about whether you're accepting the responsibility of your sins. He already did that. Jesus does not ask stupid questions. Nor will he give you repetitive rote answers. So what he decides to do, him and his Father through the Holy Spirit, decides to use all these things for the good. So if you repeat a particular thing all the way to your grave, he's going to use it over and over and over, not to get rid of your sin, but to accomplish intimacy with Jesus. The reason why we sin is we're seeking intimacy with a person, place, or thing. That's what's happening. You're hunting for a feeling of intimacy. Drugs give a feeling of intimacy. Relationships give a feeling of intimacy. Driving around a fast sports car, and believe me, I know personally, replicates a feeling of intimacy. I love this car. Or a person that's in counseling for 15 years wakes up one morning, looks in the mirror and goes, I love you, finally! 
It produces intimacy. So the question becomes, does it promote jealousy with God the Father? You know, when Jesus is half-brother, keep in mind, how many brothers did Jesus have? Four brothers. How many of Jesus' brothers believed Jesus that he was the Son of God? Zilch. You know what that tells me about family rejection? He was alone. James is the only brother. Stay with me, those of you who experienced family rejection. James was the only one that got it, and it was after Jesus was gone. And he got it through the Holy Spirit. Doesn't it mess with your mind a little bit to know that Jesus' brothers are in the pit of hell? Doesn't that mess with you just a little bit? That's what I hear when I'm whining and complaining with the Lord at my desk is, remember, what James McDonald did with me this week is basically that. Remember the reality of sorrow worldwide. Not to make light of your sorrow, but remember. That's what God does with me with Jesus is that Jesus was alone besides his mother. All his brothers took off and wouldn't support him. And it was his mother and beloved John and later James. And I'll tell you what, you look at James carefully. They call him camel knees. And you look at the dedication and support and wisdom that came out of that half-brother, and I know why he got saved. I know why he got selected by his brother. It says Christ chooses us. Okay? We don't choose him. That's very clear in Scripture. Christ chooses us. And Christ chose his brother, James. To give us one of the most earth-shaking messages of the dark world. And he's the one that said this. For do you not know that God is a jealous God? That's after James wrote this thing out said, He who is friends with the world is an enemy of God. And then he finishes it with, you think the scriptures speak for no purpose? Do you not know that God is a jealous God? That's not how the verse ends. The verse ends stroking my very life message. That lives within you? See, we we make it all about us. And honestly speaking, the three of them want to have this dynamic fellowship with each other, and we're simply to join in on that. We're not to demand privileges with them, or name it, claim it, stab it, and slab it. We're just supposed to have 
be overly thankful that we've been given the prerogative to join in on their intimacy. So we don't try to get it from somewhere else. Repentance needs to be handled with very special care. The standard of repentance is motivating people to feel guilty so that they cry. And when they cry as a discipler, you say, okay, now just confess it all out and ask God for, to forgive you. It's been around for several generations. You ask God to repeat himself, and let's see how well that works for you. Now, a lackadaisy parent will ask a child to do something, 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 and you're a guest in the home, whatever, and you're, and you're kind of kicked back going, really? Why don't you just bring the discipline right after number one? Defiance. Because that is how God does it. When we look at culture versus the scriptures, no wonder millennial and their children, generation Zers, it's no wonder that they're freaking out with this message. How many spoiled children enjoy being spanked? Not many that I know. So repentance is the process of confessing one's sins, turning away from the self-life, and returning to a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ from inside out. That's all it is. This cannot be done effectively unless the Holy Spirit brings revelation to specific areas of the flesh that rise up against Jesus Christ. Once true repentance has occurred, the indwelt Christian can begin to apply the identity in Christ to all of life's situations and circumstances. So the purpose statement becomes rather simple as well because of that. And that is, indwelt Christians need to repent often. Please don't associate repent with begging for forgiveness. Two, two separate things. It's acknowledging that you truly did choose the wrong choice, which was sin. So, indwell Christians need to repent often. Sin cannot be ignored in the life of the indwell believer. When we turn away from God and sin, we must basically turn back to Him, make a U-turn, and get back in the alignment of what is already true about you. Our Romans 8-9 passage, however, you are not in the flesh. And that's where we get that. If you're an indwell believer, there's no in-flesh stuff. It's like picking something up off a table. You can pick up sin. But you're not sin anymore. It's not your identity whether you hang on to that sin until it kills you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change your identity. It doesn't change your position in Christ. 
The only thing that changes on heaven's side is rewards. There's 3,364 references to rewards in the Bible. We're not judged for our sins. We are to go through this judgment process to rate us for the rewards. It says some will be rulers of nations and others will be doorkeepers. So what puts us in this this positioning on the new earth becomes rather significant with our behavior on earth. So it's not judgment. It's rewards for us. Should that drive us? Nah. What about the thief on the cross? He didn't have enough hours to get in any good behavior. The illustration is whether someone is hired at the last hour of the day or someone's hired at the first hour of the day and they both get the great blessing, same paycheck, both go to heaven, but the Peter type may be put in a different position than the thief because of their eternal weight of glory. Experience. You think that dies when you die? No. Not at all. The sin just gets filtered out of it. Let's take a look at our first diagram, the natural man. This looks like it's a complicated diagram, but I've had so many people say to me, this has become my favorite little part of the series to communicate because it's so cartoonish and illustrative of a very simple problem. Satan is there in the world, and that's his home and domain, right there off to the left. He has to use the five senses, the external influence, those things around your ring. He has to use the external things and go through the five senses because he cannot tap the sixth sense. That's the spirit. He can't belongs to God. You say, well, what about an unsaved person? It belongs to God. Now, he has access to it because people are born into sin, and this is how he does it. So that attack comes in through the conscious mind, and this little opening here is the person's eyes and ears and you know the five senses. It comes through and makes an impact on the conscious mind. So someone says to you, as said to me, you will never mount to anything. Something many of us have heard from our childhood. Or you you are stupid, or you're an idiot. You have your list and I have my list. Who do you think put them there? My mother, she was vulgar. No. Satan used your mother when she was upset. He just needed to get that thing in there. Stupid kid. Never going to amount to anything. You idiot. What's wrong with you? Are you ever going to change? The list goes on and on. That's the rejection list. So he gets all that stuff in there and he can't tamper with the subconscious. No matter what you're thinking, at 602-292-2982. There is no way he can get into your subconscious mind. Satan cannot read minds. There's no scripture supporting that. 
602-292-2982. Even the unsaved, he can only plant, he can only deceive, he can only be by that tree and say, Eve, don't you get it? You can be like God. He can't go and take ownership of anything until the seed is swallowed. And let it spring forth its fruit, fruit of death. Now we can have some fun torturing you from the inside out. So that devil-looking guy on the inside is the old nature. It's not really the devil. It's the Adamic nature that's fallen from God. It's broken. He doesn't need to be repaired. It needs to be replaced. Old nature for new nature. New nature is the nature of Christ. That's why Christ is in you. It's got to be exchanged. That's why Christ's followers are this. The devil's following the devil. Using goodness to do it. This is clear cut unsaved person walking in the flesh. It is their identity. In. Every time you see in in literature, it's referencing identity. Just remember that. Particularly when you're reading the scriptures. In is referencing identity. You are in this man. You are in this problem. You are in the... It's identity. So now, as you go to sleep at night, all this stuff that's in your conscious mind, you know, my, my wife said to me this morning, she said, oh honey, those heavy duty theological talks I, that we have right before, you know, we go to sleep, I have a hard time sleeping and, you know, wrestle, I didn't get very many hours of sleep and, you see, I get that. We, there's another diagram here of the literally taking in data all day long, heavy duty data all day long from whatever resources or whatever. And once it's in there, what it does is the key. Because when you fall asleep at night, what's supposed to happen, this is literal science, by the way, the cortex of your brain is about that thick during the day. It's like a little pillow laying on top of your brain. That cortex keeps you going and manages the graven images in your mind. Or you'd be walking around talking to yourself, someone's, you know, they call it hallucinations or whatever. That's what would happen to you. People who hallucinate are having their cortex thin before they go to sleep. They dream while they're walking. People who understand the brain, you really want to make sure everything physiologically is okay up there before you go stuffing pills in them. But the cortex is designed to manage graven imagery. So you're not walking around all day feeling oppressed. But at night, it's commanded by God to follow a system where the cortex that you lay back in bed and you're just kind of tired and but you're at peace and you know and the cortex is getting the message let her go you fall asleep 
And then in that falling to sleep, you are taken into one of three levels. You know, they call it REM sleeping, that third phase, rapid eye movement. But it's where all the dark things are. And then you have a nightmare. But the darkest, and it is true, the darkest memories you have from movies, from real abuse, to whatever, are laying on the bottom. And when your cortex relaxes, and it goes, as they say in the books, it goes paper thin, all of them are cut loose. They roam around. They mix with all the stuff from the conscious part of the brain, and then through a, you think it's seven hours worth that it takes you through, your brain goes through this cycle at least seven times a night. Opens, seals, closes, seals. Open, closes, seven times. So you'll have deeper dreams at two than you would at four. Depends on how much the brain is trying to process. Satan knows this. He does know how we're made. And so you wake up restless or at peace. Or you wake up and say, you know, I just didn't get much sleep last night. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to get this stuff processed right before sleep. Or you want, and those are the questions that we have. And God's just saying, there's nothing weird about you. So we have to look at, well, if this crap is just going to stay in there until we hit the casket, is there another solution here to sleep in peace? There is. Looking at our next diagram, which is a spiritual man walking in the spirit. The devil's still out doing his, you know, world flesh and the devil thing. He's still tantalizing the five senses. He's still able to get through those five senses to get into that conscious mind. That hand that you see being held up is the will is the key. As you know, is one of the diagrams that's coming up. Holding that hand up going, stop now. You're not going any further. That pushing the hand up and getting the palm in front of the enemy is the doctrinal proclamation. In the name of Jesus, I believe I'm holy. I am chosen. I am faithful. I have the faithfulness of Christ. I have the, the life of Christ. I have the, that's what it is. Excuse me. The truth chases away the lies. The light chases away the darkness. You speak light, it chases the darkness away. That's the solution. A natural man walking in and after the flesh has no truth in them. So it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. But if he does slip a few through, it's going to activate some of the older stuff. 
So that's why you can sit down to a scary movie at night and you have been walking after and in the spirit for weeks on end and you sit down to watch this scary movie because you couldn't say no or whatever your thing was and you have a horrid night. Every dark thing that's laid on the bottom of that barrel was pounding and oppressing you all night long. That was Satan's goal. He's after the crap in the bottom of your barrel that he put there and worked on for many years. And all he's got to do is toss in a few coins to get that machine to do what it does very normal, natural, and neutral. Now the spiritual man who is walking after the flesh, they're not in it, but they're walking after it, you got the devil doing his normal thing. The guard is down with this person. Devil comes in, just plants a bunch of little garbage pieces through the day, and then goes to sleep at night, and it drops down to the bottom, and it digs up a bunch of stuff, and it surfaces to the top. And that could go on for hour after hour. Christ is still the nature. Christ is still the life but they are not tapping it. And so the oppressive false knowledge, which is lies that starts to fill the conscious mind, digs up the lies from the past. And then that's when the person makes a statement to you the next day and says, I'm struggling with past issues, past fears, past whatever. And if you decide to disciple a lie, you're the one that needs the counseling. Those have to be renounced. They have to be ignored. Excuse me. You say, no, that's what deals with them, isn't it? That we acknowledge them. And... No, it doesn't. What deals with darkness is light. Indwelling light doesn't need to be psychobabbled. So all of the truth about this spiritual man functioning after the flesh, he's got all the answers intact there. He's got a regenerated spirit. He's got the promise of the Lord with the mandate says, do not call to mind former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Make note of this. These scriptures are there about the devil planting evil, wicked thoughts in our lives and to be aware of this. Because when it happens, that choice of the hand becomes the most significant free and point for you to go, excuse me, I am a blessed child of the living God. I am holy. I'm a priest. When God occasionally puts me in this position and tells me stuff like, you are one of the greatest preachers living today. And I'm like looking around my office like, is he 
referring to some of that? It's the Spirit of Christ in us that's the preacher. And when that is released, you just blow people away. It's not you. You see, but if I didn't have the identified truths as a part of my my fiber now, I'd be like, yeah, thanks. That's a good one. You're right. Because of Christ, we have goodness. Because of Christ, you are great preachers and teachers. Because of Christ, he says, you're ready today to minister. So let's go get her done. It's not in the I can't. It's in the I'm willing. You stay in that state of mind and the possibilities are endless, as you would guess. So the U-turn becomes really the action of turning someone away from walking after the flesh to walking back in the Spirit. The U-turn starts with an acknowledgement of my way. So we oftentimes do encourage people, just write it out. Just write it out. It's like a discipler does. Things you've just been demanding your way. The considering and turning comes after that honest appraisal. It's nothing to turn someone when they're in a flow. The toughest people to deal with are resistors. But when someone is in a, in a flow and the honest appraisals already happened, it's easy to just take them and turn them. And it's just guiding them and directing them right back to God's way. For my ways are not your ways, your ways are... You see, you're just turning them. There's no effort. There's no... Aren't I supposed to cry when I repent? Who cares? Cry. Don't cry. Laugh. Don't laugh. Get angry. Don't get angry. It doesn't matter. Just turn. That's what we want. So I have to ask the question of turn for what? Where are we going? And it's always resulting itself in ministry. It's always at the top. Now that you're beyond your way, Stephen, let's go get some work done. Must your whole life be about figuring out how nasty your life is? How about we spend the rest of your life talking about how wonderful my life is. Good plan, Lord. I like that one. Can I write that one down? Already did. You're good. That's how simple it is. So here's our bottom line. Repentance is the process of confessing one's sins, turning away from the self-life. And then returning to a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. From the inside out. This cannot be done effectively unless the Holy Spirit brings revelation to specific areas that are in your life. 
General confessions bring general change. Specific confessions bring specific changes. And that's why you hear people say, well, what do you mean by that? What are you actually saying you're wrong for again? So those kind of questions are important if you're discipling someone so you get specifics. See if they're just confessing to get it out of the way so they can have relationship again. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.